Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading that we just heard in the Gospel of Luke for this Transfiguration Sunday. You may be seated. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, in your mercy, you revealed your glory to Peter and James and John on that night. And now, Father, as we focus in here today on your Son, we pray that nothing would be left in our hearts and our minds but Jesus Christ alone. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. They should have died in that cloud. Peter, James, and John, I mean, they, they should be dead after entering into that cloud, that glorious holy cloud wherein God's presence descended on that mountain. They had no right to be there. for They were sinners. And sinners cannot enter into the holy presence of God. So how is it that Peter, James, and John survived? How is it that they didn't die in the holy presence of God? How did God's wrath not break out and crush them? What could they have done to survive before the presence of God's glory and hearing that voice. Well, we'll get to that in a second here, but before we do, let's just take a moment to, to be in awe of this glorious scene we have here on the Transfiguration Sunday. This Sunday, we always commemorate before we enter into the season of Lent, this mountaintop experience that we have before we go down into the valley of the shadow of death on our way to the cross in the resurrection. It is an amazing scene, isn't it? There is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory himself, exuding his glory from his own person so that all who are there to see it, well, the five who are there to see it, Moses and Elijah and Peter, James and John, recognize that Jesus is the divine son. But isn't it amazing to think of who was there, Moses and Elijah? Moses and Elijah, I mean, if you're a Jewish person in the first century, there is nobody greater in your mind than Moses and Elijah. This is like the Mount Rushmore, all right? The Mount Rushmore of the Old Testament people. First, you got Moses. Moses, who, according to our reading from Hebrews today, there is nobody greater in the house of God than Moses. Moses is the one who spoke with God face to face. Moses is the one who received the law and delivered the law to the people. Moses is the one who led the people in their salvation from Egypt through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Moses is the one who wrote the foundational history and commands upon which the Israelites build their lives, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. This is that Moses. They're speaking with Jesus. Now, Moses was glorious. Now, he couldn't actually enter into the promised land, as we heard today in our Old Testament reading. He was, he was not quite holy enough for that. Nonetheless, in the mind of the Hebrew people, there is nobody greater than Moses. And then he's there with Elijah. Elijah, the figurehead of all the Old Testament prophets, the chief of the Old Testament prophets, the man who stood up to wicked kings and weak priests, proclaiming God's word to them at the risk of his own life. So holy, I guess we could say, was Elijah <clears throat> that God saw fit to not allow him to see death. 
He is one of those rare people whom God looked upon and said, I'm going to bring you straight to heaven. And we know the account that Elijah was taken to heaven not via death, but via a fiery chariot that brought him into God's presence. And there they stood, the Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, there in the presence completely dwarfed by the glory of the Lord Jesus. And they spoke with Jesus. They spoke with Jesus about the very thing they had always been speaking about through their writings. They spoke of, as Luke records today, his departure. The departure he was about to undergo at Jerusalem. Now departure, this is one of those times, like you're always told in seminary, never like retranslate the Bible because that's always confusing to people. But here's one of the things that's important for us to recognize. That word departure there should be translated exodus. The word there is used for exodus. Now, why does that matter? Because what is the exodus? Well, in the Old Testament, the exodus is the salvation event for the people of God, which means what Moses and Elijah were speaking to Jesus about was the saving event he was about to undergo for the salvation, not just of Israel, but for the entire world. And we see here that the ministries of Moses and Elijah and all the prophets, the history of Israel, the words and the writings, all of this pointed to Jesus' exodus, his salvation work for the world. And Luke records today that as they spoke with this about Jesus, they finished and they were done. And they turned around to leave. With this conversation, with the arrival of Jesus, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets have nothing left to say. They're done. But Peter wasn't too keen to let them go. In fact, as they walked away, he suggested that they set up some tents, tabernacles, if you will, dwelling places for the glory. Peter wanted to capture the glory, to stay in that moment on that mountain, to stay in that glory. That was not God's will. It was not God's will for Peter to capture the glory. And so Luke writes, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and then overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Now, there was no wrath there to break out against Peter and James and John. Again, they survived that experience with God. But how? Was it because they were with Moses? Well, no, Moses, I think, was gone by this point. Moses was nowhere to be seen, and that's probably what helps us recognize something about Moses. Moses helps us in no way in standing before God. Moses is of no help to sinners in the presence of God of the holy God. You can't stand alongside Moses and expect God's wrath not to break out against you. To be sure, Moses is the one in the Old Testament who spoke with God face to face in a manner that none of us could possibly understand. And yet Moses could not share that privilege with anyone else. We even have accounts of people coming to Moses, like his brother and his sister came to Moses one day and they said, look, you seem to think you have all this authority and glory, but we should be alongside of you. We should have the same authority as you do. We should speak to God in the same way as you do, Moses. And so they tried to stand alongside Moses. 
And God punished them for their pride. His wrath broke out against them, and he gave them leprosy. Leprosy was only removed when Moses finally sort of prayed on their behalf. But Moses was of no help to them. Moses is of no help to anyone when it comes to standing in the presence of the holy God because, you see, Moses' job is not to give us that ability. Moses' job was to do something else, was to bring the law. And the law that Moses brought reveals to the world God's righteous standard. It's God's righteous standard for God's people. It's the expectations that he has for his people. It is his will for how they should live. But the law does nothing in making us righteous. All it does is it turns everyone into bigger sinners. All the law can do is deal out death and reveal that we have no right to be in the presence of God's holiness. If we go before God alongside Moses in the, by the standards of the law as sinners, we ought to die. Moses himself couldn't fulfill this law as great as Moses was, the greatest in the house of God. Even according to the law, he could not enter into God's promised land because of his own sin. Moses is the giver of the law, and the law and our lack of obedience to it does nothing to help us in the presence of God. And we know that this is what the law does, that it exposes our sin, that it reveals our sin by the ministry of Elijah. Because Elijah and those who came after Elijah, known as the prophets, Elijah and the prophets were what we might call covenant lawyers. God gives his covenant, he gives his law, and it's conditional when he gives it through Moses. This is what the law says. If you do this, I have great promises for you. Things are going to go very well for you. And if you break my law... It's all judgment and condemnation. And so what the prophets did is they came with the law and they showed the people of Israel, here is God's standard and here's how you're living. This is what God wants and that's where you are. That means judgment is coming. That means punishment is coming your way. If Moses gives the law, then Elijah comes and the prophets come to accuse with the law. Moses gives it and Elijah accuses with it. So that for sinners... There's no hope standing alongside of these two in the presence of a holy God. They're nowhere there to help. That's why they left. They had nothing to say for help for sinners in the presence of God. And it is worth stopping here for a moment to think about how this applies to us. I think you probably see where I'm kind of going with this already. But we have this tendency in our lives to think that the role of the law, the role of instructions or the role of Ten Commandments or any commandments we read in the Bible, we tend to have this idea that those are given to us to show us how to be righteous before God. That if we just follow that pattern, if we just obey those rules, at least to the best of our abilities, then God will be pleased with us. Then we're going to be holy enough to stand in his presence, at least hoping that he gives us the benefit of the doubt. This is certainly how we use law and rule and instructions in our daily lives. We try and find standards to live by, and we pursue, we think, those standards as well as we can, though when we fall short and someone exposes that, what do we do? We appeal to some other law to justify ourselves. We're always trying to prove our righteousness, if you will, to the world around us by how well we obey and how well we do and how good we are at this or that. And then when someone exposes the fact that we're falling short, we pull that law out and we point it back at them. We try and say, at least I'm not as bad as that sinner over there. We try and justify ourselves in this way. The problem is, is that we take that mentality with us, which isn't working in the world already, 
and apply it to our relationship with God. And we start to think that God gave us the law. He sent Moses to give us the Ten Commandments to show us what we must do to be righteous in his sight. That God gave us the law to show us what ladders we must climb to enter into that glorious presence and be welcomed because of all of our goodness. The problem is, for sinners like you and I, as soon as we pursue that law, we recognize that the ladder breaks. We fall flat on our face because of our sin. The law was given, in fact, not to make us righteous, but to expose the fact that we are not. If you've been with us in our, in our Romans Bible study, which we've been going through, I think, for the past uh, 48 weeks or wherever we're at here on Sunday morning, uh, you will recognize that this is exactly what Paul teaches in the book of Romans about the giving of the law. This is what he says. The law came to increase the trespass. Moses and Elijah, in other words, had the ministry of increasing sin, showing sinners that they are unrighteous and in need of a Savior. The law comes not to make us better but worse, to expose us that as sinners, not to make us better people. Which is why, if when you are reading the Bible or you're hearing a sermon or you're having, reading some book on theology or something like this, and you hear the rules and the instructions and the standard that God has, if you hear those things and you think to yourself, but that's impossible. Or if you think, if that's true, then I'm a sinner too. Or if you think, if that's God's standard of righteousness, I will never achieve it. I am doomed. I am done for. That word makes me look bad. If that's your response. You're finally hearing the law in the right way. The way to react to that is not to then run away from God, but to repent, to turn from your sin and turn back to God and cry out for mercy. But just understand that that mercy will never come to you in the form of a commandment or an instruction, because the law cannot make you righteous. It is only given to make you a sinner. It gives you no hope before God. It leaves you for dead. That's the point leaves you for dead, so now, now finally Christ can raise you to a new life. That's why if the only word we have from God is law, it would be baffling that Peter, James, and John lived. For if they stood in the glory of God's mountain, the glorious mountain of God's presence, on their own, with Moses and Elijah, they would be done for. But they're not done for. Because they have another person with them. They have a Savior, not a lawgiver, but a merciful Savior, not one who comes with instructions, but comes with salvation. And you know, Moses and Elijah knew they needed it. Moses and Elijah knew that they were not enough. Moses and Elijah knew that there had to be another word from God, a Savior from God, who would come along and rescue sinners because their ministry of law was insufficient. That is why when they are on the mountain, they are talking to Jesus about his exodus, about his saving work that he is going to accomplish for the world. And it's because they are with Jesus that Peter and James and John are with Jesus, the Savior, that they are able to stand in God's holy presence. Not because of their own righteousness, but because they are hidden and protected by the righteous one. The one who has come to save them. They don't die because they are with Jesus. 
And Jesus alone is able to do what is necessary to bring sinners into the presence of a holy God. Jesus alone is the one who comes not to give more instruction, but to reconcile us to God, not to expose our debts before God, but to pay them with his blood, not to accuse and condemn us, but to take God's accusations and judgments upon himself on the cross so that he might rise again and announce to you no law but gospel, good news. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are righteous on my account and not yours. Jesus has come to do all of this for you. He goes to the cross, the one guy who kept God's law perfectly, the one man who deserved not to die because he was fully righteous and fully holy according to God's law, substituted his perfect life for your sinfulness and atoned for your sins with his blood. And now, because of this, you will not die, but you will live. For God has no wrath left for you. Christ has taken all of it. You are forgiven and you are free. This is why, as St. Paul continues in Romans, uh, we have great hope. We have another word from God. The law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You can sin, but Christ is always more gracious. He is always more forgiving. And he comes with a different word, a word of grace, good news. Law points out sin. Christ says, I forgive you for your sins. The law says you deserve nothing. Jesus says, I love you relentlessly, endlessly. I bought you with my blood and you are mine. God the Father approves. And that's why he says, this is my son my chosen one. Listen to him. Let Moses and Elijah walk away. Their job is done, their law is fulfilled, and they are silenced by Christ alone. Listen to Christ. Be free. You are forgiven. You will live. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks for the mercy you have shown us in Jesus Christ. We beg you, Father, to forgive us for our disobedience to your law. Forgive us for our unrighteousness and our pursuit of righteousness in ways that are not Lord, we thank you that that forgiveness is ours, and that righteousness has been won for us through the shed blood of your Son. Grant us faith to trust in him all the days of our lives. In his name we pray.